You know, you get thinking about the Lord coming back. And one of the great things, if you're witnessing, you're talking to somebody and you're being a witness and you're being a testimony and you're giving them the gospel and you're, excuse me, talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for you. And that trumpet sounds, and you know what you get to do? You get to see the one you've been bragging about for so long. I'll tell you what, that'll take care of a whole lot of things right there. Uh, let's go ahead and turn over to Exodus chapter 1. And I'll be honest, I do not know why I'm preaching this, but I couldn't get it out of my head. So that's why I'm preaching it. So I, I, I really don't, I don't know why I'm preaching it tonight, but I am. And I hope it's not you. I hope maybe it's something the Lord's going to do down the road. Um, and maybe help you out down the road. Uh, maybe somebody's in this case tonight, but I don't, I don't really, I, I don't know. That's what I got. I don't know why I'm doing this, but uh, I, know, I know we are. So here we are. Exodus chapter 1, and you get down to verse number 8, and we'll pick it up there. Of course, the children of Israel are, uh, are all there with Joseph, and Joseph dies, and children of Israel continue on living in the land of Egypt. And in verse number 8, he says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, let thy, let, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. Uh, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service, in the field all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Look at uh, chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Now, in between Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 13, I'm sure you know, uh, but quickly, I'll, I'll talk about a man quickly by the name of Moses, right? Moses comes on the scene. And uh, he's brought up in Pharaoh's house, and uh, the Lord calls him, taps him, and says, hey, let's go. Uh, and he leaves, and of course he does it the wrong way, and, uh, you know, but he chooses to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And out he goes. Uh, he ends up in exile on the backside of the desert with the sheep, and uh, he ends up seeing that burning bush, and the Lord calls him out of the burning bush. And you know what happens, he goes in, and uh, him and Aaron show up on the scene, and they're going to go ahead and step up in front of Pharaoh and let my people go, says the Lord to you. And, uh, of course, Pharaoh doesn't let him go, and so the Lord brings the plagues upon Egypt and so on. And the children of Israel, by the time you get to chapter 12, you have the Passover, and uh, the children of Israel are going to be leaving. And as they head out and they're doing what they are going to do, you get to chapter 13, and in verse number 3, Moses, and Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. 
For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. He looks at the children of Israel and he says, Hey, remember the day you were brought out of bondage. The day the Lord brought you out of Egypt. He says, remember this day. Remember what happened right here. Uh, You have taken a group of slaves and have overthrown the greatest kingdom that ever was. Uh, In that area, in their time frame, that kingdom was the kingdom. They ruled basically the world. That was them. Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And here they are, and a bunch of slaves overthrew them. We understand it's by the power of the God of the universe. uh, And he does great and mighty things. And he goes ahead and removes Pharaoh's power and reign over the children of Israel and brings them up out of bondage. But notice when they were in bondage, it was a hard bondage. They were put under the rigors of what Egypt could offer. The bondage and the weight, the work and the labor, the taskmasters that were put over them, And the children of Israel leave that place, and you would think liberty would be great afterwards. Uh, I would like you to remember one thing tonight already. Uh, Maybe you won't get anything else. Remember the day the Lord brought you out of bondage. Uh, Bondage to the world, bondage to a Pharaoh, the devil himself, the old father, the old taskmaster you had. And he removed the bondage from you. And he took away those things, and he took away the taskmasters, and he took away all those things, and he set you free, and he set you at liberty. Moses is a constant reminder to the children of Israel to remember the day they were brought out of bondage. He says it over and over again to them. Uh, You go into the New Testament, and Paul is a constant reminder to the church that they are supposed to remember the day they were brought out of bondage. They were saved, they were born again, they were redeemed, they were all the verses that we've got, and they're piled up, and we have them just replete throughout the book, the books that Paul wrote us. Uh, And he's writing to the church, he's reminding them over and over again, hey, you were brought out, you weren't part of that anymore, you're a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become. And it's a constant reminder to the day that Jesus Christ paid the price of all of your sins and pulled you out of bondage and redeemed you forever. Now with that being said, I can't figure out sometimes in my mind I often wonder why do people go back to Egypt? The children of Israel, you know it and I know it, and we're going to look at them. For the rest of the book of Exodus, you can skip Leviticus, the law giving, but Exodus and Numbers, you find quite a bit of murmuring and complaining. And reasons they keep looking back at Egypt, hearkening to go back. And tonight, I really hope this isn't you, but there's four reasons that I have found that the children of Israel gave to want to go back to Egypt. And I think they're foolish reasons. And I'm going to show you that the Lord is better than what they were giving Him credit for. But I find that these reasons right here are oftentimes reasons that Christians forget that they were bought out of a lost and terrible world who was just a taskmaster and just somebody who wanted to use them, abuse them, and throw them away and end them in a lake of fire for all of eternity and put them in the furnace of Egypt 
just like the children of Israel were. But some reason, for some reason, Christians seem to forget and they look through those rosy glasses back over at Egypt and act like it was something that it wasn't. And then they look forward at God and they look over at what they have around them and they go, well, this just isn't as good as I thought it would be. And there's the problem. And tonight I want to preach on reasons people return to Egypt. The reasons people return to Egypt. And I hope you hear the reasons and you think, those are all foolish reasons. And you never leave and go back. I hope you never go back. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at these reasons and why they're really not very good reasons to go back to Egypt. Father, I thank you for the night. I thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that it washed me of all of my transgressions, all of my sins. I thank you that many, if not all, of the people in this room tonight have had their sins washed in the blood of the Lamb and you've taken care of that for all of eternity. And Father, you've given us our liberty and Lord, I pray you'd help us not to go back under the bondage of Egypt. Help us not to go back to the rudiments of the world and to go and root and ground ourselves in this world and instead go ahead and press forward for the cause and, the, and the, uh, Lord, the leading of a holy God and help us, Father, to take the next step we ought to take and keep moving forward as opposed to keep looking backward. And Father, we pray that you would bless our night. Help me, Father, to preach this with clarity of thought and mind and help it to be a blessing and a help. Father, maybe not tonight, help it to be something that maybe somebody will go through some things here in the near future and you'll use it to remind them what great things the Lord hath done for them and they don't need to go back to Egypt to find their comforts. And Lord, we pray you would bless the night. Once again, be with our pastor and his family, strengthen and help them. And Lord, we pray you get the praise, honor, and glory this night. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Look over. Uh, it doesn't take uh, the children of Israel very long before they start complaining. Uh, right here we are in Exodus chapter 13, verse number 3, and Moses says, hey, remember, remember this day here. <laughs> and in chapter 14, Pharaoh decides he's going to change his mind. And so Pharaoh comes after him, right? And verse number 10 in chapter 14, he says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with, thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness." Well, <laughs> I mean, how do you argue with that? So what's the problem? The problem is they have the fear of their circumstances now. You see, the, the problem is they, they don't like what's going on around them. They're afraid that the circumstances now are too difficult. They don't recognize the fact that the bondage they were in in Egypt is far worse than dying as free men, even if they were to die. They also couldn't figure out that uh, the problem was that Pharaoh's coming after him because Pharaoh doesn't want to give up. He wants to devour. Uh, Pharaoh is a great type of the devil. 
you think the devil really liked it that you got saved? It amazes me the first fight everybody gets right after they get saved, some weird religion comes by. Somebody that has never talked to them about the Lord ever at work hears they got saved. Oh, really? Let me tell you about my church. Didn't even know they went to church. They didn't want to talk about it before you got saved, but somebody else talked to you about it, and now somebody's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, they made a whole lot of sense. They didn't make any sense. They didn't talk to you before, now they're talking to you about it. Why didn't they talk about it before? Because it wasn't so great before. They're looking at Egypt, and you know what their statement is? Oh, we didn't have any graves in Egypt. Okay. Ask the midwives if there were graves in Egypt. Oh, if it's, if, it's a, if it's a girl, you can let it live. If it's a boy, kill it. But don't worry, we didn't have any graves in Egypt. Oh, sure. Sure, you didn't have any graves in Egypt. They're killing your kids. But don't worry, no graves in Egypt. Egypt's great. Oh, it's better to die as the servants over there in Egypt. Is it? Did you forget that when you were in Egypt, if you died while you were in Egypt, you were going to a devil's hell for all of eternity, Christian? Before he set you free, you were in bondage and you were in the rudiments of the world and you were part of the sin of the world and you were wicked and you were, on, and you were going to hell for all of eternity. That was where you were going. It isn't better to die in Egypt. Not to mention, Christian, now that you've gotten set free and you go back into bondage, guess what? You don't want to die in Egypt now <laughs> doing what they do and stuck under their old taskmasters because you'll lose all recompense and reward when you get to glory. Say, so what's the problem? The problem is they're afraid of the circumstances. They look around and go, we're in trouble, we're going to die. God can't get us out of this. Moses, what'd you do? And you look at God and you say, God, what'd you get me into? I didn't sign up for this. God, I, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, these problems, what, what are we talking about these problems? I mean, I got to suffer? I mean, I didn't think people would be after me. <laughs> Hold your place in Exodus because we're going to obviously come back. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You know what's going to get you in a lot of trouble? Is if you keep looking at your circumstances and everybody who's against you. The circumstances do not dictate the greatness of who you serve. I find that God likes terrible circumstances. That the excellency of His power might be of God and not of us. You know why He likes extreme circumstances? Just ask Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Ask those three Hebrew boys that got cast into a fiery furnace. Ask them if the Lord likes difficult situations. To go ahead and prove that He's God and nobody else is. Oh, but the circumstances. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. 
who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so, also, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Pharaoh's coming. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Pharaoh's here. We're all going to die. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Who cares if I die? He's the God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. In whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Paul says, Paul says, hey, why are we surprised that, that problems are here? And we feel like we're going to die. His statement is, we're pressed above measure, above strength, in so much that we despair even of life. He goes, we're going to die. We were certain we're dead men. That the children of Israel, we're all going to die, Moses. Why'd you bring us out here to die? Pharaoh's coming. Who's stopping Pharaoh? Well, that pillar of cloud shows up behind them. And the wind starts blowing, and Moses stretches out a rod, and the Red Sea parts, and the impossible happens, because of the God of the impossible. He steps in, and the circumstances that you're dealing with, don't let it put you back in Egypt. There's no reason to go back to Egypt for the circumstances. Oh, let's just surrender to Pharaoh. I mean, the world's too far gone. We can't do it. Well, if you can't beat him, join him. The problem is that you do beat him. The Lord does win. And if they kill you, you've got the God that raiseth from the dead. Well, I don't really like those. I don't really like those, uh, those ideas. Yeah, me neither. But our circumstances, they may change and they may waver and all the things might go on and Pharaoh may come with the armies and we may be in a whole lot of trouble, but that does not change the God that you have. And dying with Him is better than living in Egypt under the bondage of a taskmaster. And the children of Israel kept looking back going, oh, it was so great. We didn't even have graves back there. You had graves of plenty. You just didn't want to admit it. It's an excuse. You know, it's funny. The devil tries to get you to forget all about how terrible Egypt was. And the Lord tries to get you to remember that He brought you out of bondage. 
to the land of Egypt so you don't have to come back. They forget about the taskmasters. They forget about the ones oppressing them and killing them and taking things and doing whatever they want to do. Instead, you know what they say? Well, it's better with Egypt. Never better with Egypt. Go back to the book of Exodus. The fear of circumstances, that drives people back over to Egypt. They go, well, I don't know if God can handle that. You know, somebody gets saved, and you know what they do? They look around at the circumstances. The circumstances don't get better for them. You know what they do? They go, well, I'm, I, nothing's getting better here. I'm suffering more because all my friends have left me. Now I, now I don't even have any friends. Well, they weren't your real friends anyways, but that's a whole other thing. And you know what they do? They go back. Why? Because the circumstances just didn't quite change the way they wanted them to. Circumstances, it's just not there. Exodus chapter 16. I mean, you'd think, all right, all right, we brought you out of the bondage of Egypt. Ten plagues rang down. I've wiped out Pharaoh's army. They should be good now, right? Right, the children of Israel should be good, right? Why would they think about going back to Egypt now? I mean, Pharaoh's army is literally wiped out at the bottom of the Red Sea. Why go back? Well, here we are in Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 1. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came out of the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. So they are two and a half months out of their departing from Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, and we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Look at chapter 17. Lord goes ahead and takes care of that and gives them some manna from heaven. Chapter 17, verse 1, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this, that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? We could do it again, Numbers chapter 21, if you want the reference, 4, 5, 6, right there. Uh, You know what they do? They do it again. Wandering around after they don't go into the promised land, they're wandering around, and you know what they say? Should just go back into Egypt, guys with those great cucumbers and melons. And the leeks and the garlics. By our little flesh pots. Say, what's the problem? Uh, There's been a failure of provisions in their eyes. 
God's just not supplying what I need here. God just, he's not taking care of me to the level that he used to. And you look around and you want and you want and you want and you go, you know, God's just not coming through for me. I'll go back to the world. They always took care of me. I'll just go back over there. They always took care of me there. Instead of looking to the only one who can provide all your needs, you know what you do? You murmur against him and go back and go back to Egypt. You know why the children of Israel get in trouble? Much later, you get into the, right, uh, in, into the uh, minor prophets, you know what they kept doing? They kept trusting the Lord and going to everybody else to go back and get their, their wealth and their help and their, and their strength and their armies and they're making leagues with all these other nations. Why? Because they said these people have made us strong. They're the reason we'll win. They get in trouble. Why? Because they quit looking for God to provide their needs. And he says, okay, fine. I'll just cut you off from all of your supplies. I'll eliminate the water. I'll eliminate the oil. I'll eliminate uh, the olives. I'll eliminate the grapes. I'll eliminate, you won't have anything left. Your crops will be gone. Go ahead and find out if they can feed you when I put a drought upon the face of the planet. Go ahead and see who can take care of you then. We look around, well, the government's going to help. The government's not going to help. The world isn't going to help you. We all know the spot. We all turn over to Revelation, or, uh, Philippians chapter 4, and we all get down to verse 18 and 19, and Paul's statement is, I know how to abound, and I know how to suffer want. I know how to abound, I know how to be abased. I know how to have all, and I know how to have nothing. He talks about having uh, food and raiment, let us therewith be content. He talks about the, uh, the truth of uh, going ahead, and he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Did the children of Israel get food? Absolutely. Say, so did they like it? Absolutely not. They loathed their light bread. Just for the record, uh, they're eating angel's food. Now, I don't know what that is. They didn't either. They called it manna. But I, I think that's got to be some of the best biscuits you ever had. And they're discontented. So what's the problem? The problem is they keep looking back at Egypt like it was a great wonder show. Like it was some amazing dinner theater that they got to sit down at. And they got to feast upon all these. They weren't feasting. They weren't feasting in Egypt. They didn't have great wealth in Egypt. They were taskmastered. They were in bondage. They had people over them, and they had people who were controlling them, and they had people who, when they wanted to, they would take away and withhold and go ahead and make their job even harder. But don't worry, it was great in Egypt. While the Lord's just not providing, maybe you ought to check with the one who's not providing and find out why he's not providing. Because the sufficiency is his. So maybe there's a reason he's not giving it to you. 
Well, God's just not providing. You know, people leave churches and they go back to the world. Well, I just wasn't getting fed over there. Maybe because you wouldn't put your head down and actually eat something. Well, you know, you just don't understand what it's like and now I've got to go back and I've got to do all these things so that I can have. The world always wants to put you back under its taskmasters. And they'll use any means necessary. And you go, well, I just, I just need to have a certain level of comfort. Okay. Have your level of comfort in this life. But will it cost you in the world? Will it put you back in there? Or could you trust God? That the sufficiency might be His instead of yours. Well, I've always taken care... Okay. Go back to Egypt. Well, I just liked what I had before. Okay, go back to Egypt. Well, I don't like this light breath. Okay, go back to Egypt. But the truth is you'll go back to Egypt and you know what you'll have? You'll have leanness in your souls. He'll grant your request and put you back in Egypt if you'd like. But you won't be eating steaks and Pounding it down and being happy and sufficed. You'll be discontented there just like you are now. Because the problem is not with your provisions. The problem is the way you view your provisions. The problem is your attitude. You're getting manna from heaven and going, I don't even like this. Okay. So this doesn't sound like a happy message. It's not. <laughs> But that's why people go back to Egypt. They go back because you know what they want? They want what they want. They look around and they go, I want, I want these provisions. I want things this way and I want to have it this way. And the Lord goes, I don't give it to you that way. I give it to you the way I give it to you. Look over at Exodus chapter 32. Boy, it doesn't take them long to keep complaining. And don't worry, they keep complaining. Exodus chapter 32. They're fearful of their circumstances. They've got a failure of provisions. And now, verse number one, Moses is up on the mount, right? He's dealing with the Lord. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said, Unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. So what do they want? They want some other gods. You know why? Because they're fretful of the timing that God has. God just isn't working fast enough for me. It amazes me how slow God likes to move. Almost like he's got all of eternity to get anything done. He's never in a hurry. And he's never late. We get very impatient with him. We get impatient in our circumstances. 
We get impatient in the things that we want to have done and we want it done now. And if it doesn't get done now, we live in a society today where everything is done now. And if it's not done now, we're waiting far too long. It's now or never. There's no middle option. Uh, Either I get that now or I'm never doing this. And we look at God and we go, God, I want it now. And if he doesn't give it to me now, I'll go find some other gods. Oh, there it is. I'll go build me a couple of calves. Why? Because that's what they had back there in Egypt. Let's go ahead and get some calves together and go ahead and worship those. Okay, feel free. Your problem is you're impatient with God. Why has it always got to be your timetable? God's not moving fast enough for me. Maybe you want Him to slow down. Maybe he needs you to slow down. We oftentimes rush into decisions and we make our mind up and we go ahead with our great wisdom and our great mindset and we go ahead and we figure it all out and we go, okay, well, we're going to get it done now. And God says, I'm not ready yet. I don't like that idea. Yeah, but if you'd wait for me, it would be a whole lot better. I'm going to talk to the guys because that's my wheelhouse. Uh, ladies, sorry, maybe this isn't your mentality. Our mentality most of the time, gentlemen, is uh, I'm going to get that done now. And if, if I can't, I'm just going to grab a bigger hammer and we're going to get it done now. And if that doesn't work, I will find a bigger hammer or if not, I will put my truck through it. It is going to get done and it's going to get done now because that's what I want done now. And Lord, have you ever had the Lord slow you down and go, not now, not now, not now? And then when he comes through, you go, man, I never would have seen it done that way. I'd have never thought to do it like that. That came out so much better than if I would have just done it my way. And the Lord said, yeah, because you just waited for me. And how many times did we go, I'm not waiting for you, and we go ahead and we make ourselves gods and go ahead and walk in? And we watch the thing train wreck so badly and go, God, what do I do now? And he goes, just wait a minute. I'm going to let you sit in that for a little bit before I bail you out. Turn over to Psalm, book of Psalms, 27. Figure I better give you some scripture to go with that. Psalm 27, verse number 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know what it takes to wait on the Lord? Courage. Isn't that what he said? Wait on the Lord. Colon. I'm going to explain that to you. Be of good courage. (laughs) 
It takes courage to wait on God. Any fool can go ahead and rush forward and do what he wants to do. It takes courage to go, Lord, I'm going to wait for you. Why is that? Well, it takes courage and it takes strength. And strengthen, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Why does it take those two things? Think about it this way. You got the, uh, I think it's Shema, right? And he's standing there and he's, he's got a ground and it's full of lentils around him, right? I think I got the right one, right? Correct me if I don't. Uh, but here he is, he's standing there and everybody else runs away from him. All the children of Israel that are with him, they run away. And he is standing there. You say, what does that take? It takes courage to stand there and wait. Does that take a whole lot of courage to stand there? You got everybody around you running backwards, and you got everybody in front of you running towards you. And he looks over his shoulder, and all of his buddies are gone. And he looks out there, and he sees all those Philistines. And he looks back over his shoulder, and he says, Yeah, but I was told to stand here. You don't think that takes courage? Yeah, but I was just told to stand there. Okay, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for the fight to get to me. Lord didn't tell me to go forward. He told me to stand here and wait. And Seamus stands there in the midst of the ground. And he waits for those Philistines to get up into him. And they get in there and you say, what happens? Oh, he fights and fights and fights and he gets a great victory because the Lord gave him strength. So what do you get? Courage and strength. From what? Just standing there and waiting on the Lord. So he could get a great victory. Yeah, but I don't really like his timing. Okay, that's fine. But you'll be back in Egypt under their gods in no time. You don't want to wait for him. We all know Isaiah chapter 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. Why? Because they decided to wait. I don't know how many psalms we could go to that tell you to wait. I say, wait on the Lord. He's not in a hurry. You realize salvation for you was not a hurry? God waited 4,000 years in history to send His Son to pay the debt of all the sins of the world. Couldn't He have just done that in Genesis chapter 3 and gotten the payment over with? He waits 4,000 years to when the fullness of time was come. God's timing isn't yours. And that's no reason to go back to Egypt. And get put back under their gods. Look back at Numbers chapter 14. I'm almost done. Last one. So only like another hour. We're good. Um, Kidding. I think. Numbers chapter 14. 
Uh, hopefully you know what's happened, right? The children of Israel have come, and they're coming up to the promised land, and they send in the spies, right? In chapter 13, the spies come back with the evil report, and they make the heart of the people melt, and so on, and uh, they're telling them, oh yeah, yeah, everything's great, just like the Lord said. You got the milk and the honey, and it's flowing, and everything's dripping, and it's amazing, and we got all these grapes, and it's, um, it's unbelievable, uh, but there's these giants, right? Everybody with me? <laughs> that's, what, that's the report. And Caleb and Joshua are standing there. They're trying to tell the people, no, 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 we're well able to take it. It's okay, guys. They're just some giants. No big deal. We've got God. They've got giants. Who cares? We win. All right? But Numbers chapter 14 happens. Verse number 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us onto the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Do you see how far the children of Israel have gone now? I want you to think about this. All right, the children of Israel all the way back. Exodus chapter 1, they're in bondage. Exodus chapter 13, uh, Moses is telling them, remember the day you're brought out of bondage, out of the house of Egypt, and the Lord's going to take you out. Go ahead and remember this day right here, that God hath brought thee out with His strength and His might and His power, and He's amazingly taken you out of the bondage of Pharaoh. Chapter 14, they murmur, because Pharaoh's coming. And the Lord does a miraculous Red Sea crossing and they cross the Red Sea and he parts the waters and he wipes out Pharaoh and his entire army and goes ahead, brings that thing crashing down and wipes them all out. And the children of Israel take two more steps, right? And they get over and uh, they run out of food. And they murmur. And the Lord gives them men and they take another step and they run out of water and they murmur. They're complaining about all the food and the water. Things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. And then they get a little farther down the road and Moses doesn't get back fast enough for them. And they're like, man, what are we doing? Let's get some gods back from Egypt because they obviously, our God has left us to fend for ourselves. Now I'd be willing to bet many of the people in this room, you've been saved longer uh, many of the people that have been in this room probably been saved longer than five or ten years. And you'd never think, way back there, you'd never think, oh, just a problem. I've had plenty of problems, had plenty of storms, had plenty of issues. I'm not going back to Egypt for that. Me and the Lord, we've been through too many of those. Right? I mean, what's the big deal? It's just Pharaoh and his army. They always keep trying to show up. And so then uh, you get to the provisions and, and you go, I solved that a long time ago. Lord always has come through for me. And the problems of this life, the needs that I have, the Lord's never missed one. He's always come through. He's always answered my prayer. He's always provided my need. He's always come through again and again and again and again. 
I'm not going back to Egypt just because I'm not eating T-bone steaks and Delmonico's and going ahead and I don't need that. The Lord's always met my needs. And you may have gotten past that and you may have gone, you know what? I'll, I, I learned long ago how to wait on Him. I learned long ago to take my time and that He's going to take His time and I spend my time with Him and wait for Him to tell me to go. Like David, I sat under those trees and I waited and I saw the leaves move and I'm ready to go with Him. And over and over again, you go, I, I've learned to wait. And I may not always get them all right, but I certainly don't want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> I mean, the idea of going back to Egypt is foolishness. And maybe, just maybe, hear me now, maybe you've gotten real close to where you're knocking on the doors of a promised land. And you'd think by now the children of Israel would have this thing figured out. Let's be, we should have that figured out by here. And we're ready to step into a promised land and the Lord has taken care of Pharaoh and the Lord has parted a Red Sea and the Lord has given us manna and quail and done all the things that He's going to do and He's just supplying water and we're doing all this and He's gone ahead and He's shown that He's going to show up over and over again and here we are and we get to the promised land and it looks so great and we want all the blessings and we understand if we just go forward we'll get it but a different giant showed up. And you know what the children of Israel said? It's not worth it. Let's go back to Egypt. I am not concerned most of the time for most of the people in this room that those first three are really going to matter. I am more concerned that the devil will get you to stop looking at your Savior and instead look at your problem too much. And you'll stop there. And David comes up against a six-fingered giant with a brand new sword and he can't beat him. You hear me? The warning is, you may hit a, land, a spot and you may think everything is great and everything should be great and you're going to get there and it's going to scare you differently than anything else has ever scared you before. And instead of focusing on your Savior, you'll focus on your oppositions. You'll lose sight of what you're supposed to be obtaining. And instead, you'll let your focus slip just for a moment. Because we're so confident that we can go ahead and trust that God will get us past Pharaoh and that God will get us our water and our provisions and all the things that we need and He'll go ahead and He is God and we don't want to go anywhere else and that we can wait for Him and we can do it His way and we're going to trust Him but we hit that giant and we all of a sudden everything seems to fall apart and our brain goes to mush. And we end up not finishing and being where God wants us to be. Paul's statement is, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course.
We know in Hebrews chapter 12, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wherefore, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You get near the end of the fight, you know what you get? You start to get tired. Then is not the time to look away. Then is not the time to think that everything is okay. Then is the time to go, I still, Caleb and Joshua, I have God. And it doesn't matter what the giants are. You may have survived the, and then you get there. Don't let it rock you now. Don't let it change your focus Don't let it move you away from the spot where, hey, guess what? I'm going to finish now. Because you're right at the doors to finish. I still love, and I'm going to end here, the statement that Peter makes, quite possibly one of the greatest declarations in the entire Bible is in John chapter 6. And Jesus says some hard things, and the disciples, uh, some people that were following, the regular disciples, not the apostles, the disciples start turning away and walking away from him. And Jesus looks at his 12 guys, and he looks at them, and he says, will you also go away? They're in verse number 66. Will you also go away? And Peter jumps up. (laughs) Peter jumps up, and you know what he says? To whom shall we go? Where are we going? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. That's me right there. I'm right there with him. Just a last statement. Here comes Peter. right about there the Lord's in getting questioned what does Peter do I don't know him I know not the man no I wasn't with him What happened to Peter? He missed a giant. And he denied his Savior. I believe and am sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Where are we going to go? Well, that night Peter went over by the soldier's fire and warmed himself and hung out with the world. He went back over with Egypt. Maybe, yeah, I'm just so confident. Maybe. Watch out for the times when you think you're confident. Because that gives the Lord 
a great pause when someone's real confident. And the devil looks and says, I found a chink. And I'm going to hit that spot in the armor. We're going to see if it breaks. Peter broke. And what happened to him? He focused on the opposition. God didn't do things his way. He didn't do them in his timing. He didn't do them the way he wanted. And Peter said, I don't want to associate with him right now. And what was the problem? The problem was, ultimately, he forgot who had the words of eternal life. He didn't remember the day he should have been brought out of Egypt. Christian, tonight, maybe you won't ever go back to Egypt, and I hope you don't. But maybe you've been thinking about it. No reason to go back to Egypt. At least not a good one. The devil will try to convince you to go. The world will try to convince you to go. Your flesh will rise up and want you to go. And the truth is, Jesus Christ has done everything to make sure you don't have to go. The provisions are great. The opposition can't stop you. There is no reason to be afraid that he will he will miss the right timing and take care of you. And there's no reason to think that you need to change your focus from what he has to whatever is bothering you now. Let's go ahead and stand. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the night. I thank you that you're a wonderful God. I thank you that you're marvelous to us. Father, I don't know, maybe nobody in this room is thinking about Egypt. But Father, maybe they're going to get in a spot where Egypt starts looking for them. And they're going to need you to give them the confidence and the courage and the strength to stand in an evil day. I do pray, Lord, that you be with us tonight. Strengthen and help us. Father, to face and to fight and to finish. Lord, we pray you would bless the night in Jesus' name. Amen.